We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. First pick in the 1991 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Larry Johnson from University of I'm not supposed to be here, man. A lot of people from where I'm from, so don't, don't make it. Charlotte, we're back! Welcome in to another BuzzBeat episode. It's Brian. I will be joined by Lee today. And, and Lee, it's the middle of August. And, you know, there's never been a better time to talk 2023 NBA draft. I know the 2022 draft just wrapped up uh, a couple of weeks ago. Summer week just happened. Uh, we got to see Mark Williams and Bryce McGowan's of the Hornets play pretty well out in Vegas, which we covered back in July. But we want to get ahead of things a little bit early uh, this season. The draft is something I'm passionate about. It's something you're passionate about. It's something Spencer is passionate about. It's something that we we force Richie to be passionate yes, about each yes. and every season. And uh, but we're really hoping to sort of like set the ground floor a little bit early this season and start talking about some guys before uh, you know we get into the the, the winter and the spring and, and certainly the summer build up to the draft. So to start that process out, we are planning to do some of these early season kind of like primer overview episodes where we're going to, at least for the start of it, sort of focus on returning prospects in the college ranks. But I I would imagine we will want to touch on Scoot Henderson at the G League Ignite, Mm -hmm. who's sort of an interesting returning prospect. But just going off what we have with guys that either played an overtime elite G League international or college and again focusing more on returners hopefully you know we'll have some time to get into likely one and done guys those are obviously Mm -hmm. aspects that dominate the draft dominate the lottery dominate the first round it seems likely that that's going to be the case once again this year um although it does certainly also seems like one and two of the draft are are not going to be college guys if we're talking victor women yama and scoot henry Mm -hmm. But because we have film, we have data, we have points of reference with a lot of the returnees, that's just where we're going to start. And, and I would say if you guys like this content, type of content, please let us know. Um, if you'd like to see different kinds of draft content, um, we are open to really any suggestions. But just know we want to start talking more and more about these prospects. So as opposed to us putting out you know, a handful of episodes in the months leading up to the draft, 
there's sort of a, a long extended runway going from preseason, early season, mid-season, NCAA tournament, you know, end of all of the G League leagues uh, or G League seasons, international leagues, and, and, and heading into the draft. So, Lee, um, how are you doing? Are you ready for us to jump in on some of these returning prospects in the college ranks? Yeah, no, I'm excited about this, BG. It's something we've been kind of brainstorming and iterating about for a while. I think, number one, like you said, it, it kind of scratches the itch that we have year-round to talk about to talk about draft prospects. But I also think there's like a larger and larger appetite out there, too, for draft content. So this will kind of be our way to, to, to lay the baseline, lay the foundation during the season – particularly before we get super Hornets heavy, obviously once the season kicks off. And that'll set the table for us to have like a lot more productive draft conversations all throughout the year and probably start to kind of like uh, conceptualize some like unique segments we might want to do, you know, draft risers, prospects that have our eye, players that are going up or down the Brian and Lee meter throughout the season. Like that'll all be fun to kind of monitor. So yeah, like you said, we've got a, a, a small bunch of uh, all NCAA returners for this group today. I feel like let's dive in, man. All right, let's do it. And uh, be it that we are two guys in Raleigh, North Carolina, let's start with another guy who uh, sets up shop in Raleigh, North Carolina. And that would be NC State rising sophomore guard, uh, Traquavion Smith. NC State actually currently down in the Bahamas for a little preseason tournament and uh, for whatever it Whatever it's worth, it looks like Smith has uh, been playing pretty well down there and what little the team has distributed in terms of highlights and st- in statistics. But uh, Dragavion Smith listed at 6'4", 160 pounds on State's website. But at the Combine uh, this past season, which he did attend, he was one of the one of the few guys to attend the Combine and pull his name out and uh, return. But at the 2022 Combine in Chicago, measured at 6'2 and a quarter without shoes, Six uh, three and three quarters with shoes, 165 pounds, so up a little bit more from where State has him listed. But but obviously, like his strength and his weight are something to certainly like monitor and talk about. Where Dequavion is a potential concern. Wingspan six six and a half, so you know he's plus you know a little over four inches if you're comparing that to his height without shoes. And he also measured in with a 30 and a half inch uh, vertical leap at the combine. Smith is a guy that was really climbing. Um, yes, you know, after a, a big time freshman season where he really turned the corner from beyond just like a an, an exciting sort of like microwave score into a, you know an electric shooter and, and a guy that could be um, could get you buckets in a bunch of different ways and against a bunch of different schemes and coverages. Tested the combine. Lee, you and I talked about him before he pulled out of the combine this year. I, he's a guy that I think say, pretty safely would have been a top 20 to 25 pick, you know, a potential yeah. pre-draft candidate. Uh, but he opted to come back to NC State for his sophomore season. Um, and I will say this is like one of those times where uh, something like NIL uh, has will have a positive impact for someone like Dequavion Smith because he's going to come back and, and make – uh, you know, less than he would as like a first round draft pick, assuming that it sure. happened. But he will make a couple hundred thousand dollars this season yeah. at NC State. And, and it gives him that buffer to be like, yeah. okay, I, I'm not going to end up with no- like, I'm yeah. going to have some cash flow this season while I continue to develop. I, I think that's really cool. It's overdue, obviously, but it's cool. Yeah. 
in in like look he wanted to come back uh state uh was was kind of his dream school and uh Breon Pass who's one of the backup guards on the roster is a is a close friend of Tavion mm-hmm. he just said he wasn't ready for the NBA and I think that's like I mean I'm usually for guys going if they have the opportunity especially when they're sort of slotted like someone like Smith but um yeah, baby T, like you, you wanted to come back and you just got to give it up for guys who say they, they want to play another season. You know what I mean? So very cool. Totally. Hopefully this goes well for him this season. But I think on paper, he's hands down. Um, I mean, maybe you, we could, we could, we, you know, we could uh, squabble over this a little bit, but, but almost certainly, at least in my book, the best returning prospect um, in the country. Uh, freshman year, over 16 points per game, 28.1% usage rate, which is a big number. Four rebounds, two assists. They shot 37% from beyond the arc, made 96 three-pointers, which absolutely shattered the NC State uh, freshman record. Um, (laughs) That was also third most single-season history for NC State behind only Scott Wood and uh, Rodney Monroe. 25 of those three-pointers came unassisted, which, again, speaks to... Uh, some of the shot making that I know we're going to dive into crazy volume when it comes to his three point shooting over 15, three point attempts per 100 possessions, which is just absolutely hilarious volume. Um, And when it comes to that long range proficiency, the numbers, you know, they do require some context. Uh, He feasted as a spot up bomber around the slash and kick excellence of Darion Sebron, who's Lee is someone you and I also discussed uh, heading into the 2022 draft, who's now with the uh, the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, but according to Synergy Sports, uh, Smith finished the season scoring 1.2 points per pot spot up possession, which was one of the best like high volume numbers um, in the ACC. But really getting to play off the slash and kick and downhill gravity of Sebron. Um, so here's my thoughts with uh, with um, with Terquavion Smith as we head into. Season two, he is undeniably going to receive more primary creation reps, more on ball reps, although he did get a lot as as a freshman, but he's going to get even more of them in NC State's spread pick and roll attack. And and Jarkel Joyner's in from Ole Miss to be the starting Mm -hmm. one. So Terquavion's still going to be the two, but clearly with Sebron gone, like they're going to need him to create more with the basketball, create more for others. So I'm fascinated to see what he's able to open up as a passer and downhill finisher. He really struggled finishing at the rim in the half court. Um, I do think there was some encouraging stuff at the combine against good competition in terms of him playing with the basketball, looking off defenders, burning uh, pick and roll coverages, especially when screen defenders came to the level of the screen and just showing like good patience in the pick and roll which when you mix that with his handles, of which he has some of the nastiest handles in the country, <laughs> you makes for a, a rather appealing, you know, offensive first attacking guard. Um, there's some more stuff I'd like to say about Smith, but Lee, I'm going to go ahead and open up the floor. What were you, what are your impressions of Jaquavion in year one as we head into year two? And uh, I don't know, thoughts, concerns, yeah. go with it any direction you'd like to. Yeah, well, I, I wanted to, to, to hit quickly on, you know, I agree with you. I think on paper right now, if I had to make a selection of, uh, you know, the, the best NBA prospect returning to college basketball, I do think I would choose Traquavion Smith. And it may be that he ends up being that. Uh, the only interesting wrinkle there, I think, and this is, I don't think this is something you would disagree with, is just 
there's always that like, for example, this year it was Johnny Davis. Like nobody was expecting Johnny Davis in his sophomore year at Wisconsin to become this top 15 pick. You know what I mean? So, and the, and the only reason I bring that up is because I am fascinated on who that might be this year. And, and it, and and it, it may end up being one of the guys that we cover in, in some of these returning bunches Mm -hmm. of players that, we're maybe thinking of like, yeah, like a top 60 guy that ends up being a top 20 guy. So like, that's going to be interesting to see how all that plays out. But for, for Smith uh, specifically, I think you hit on a lot of the, like, like the three point volume is just ridiculous. And, you know, basically 37% from deep for Smith on the year, obviously he does need to become like a more holistic, efficient offensive player. And I, I think the reason why I like him returning to state, although I, I obviously would have had zero issue with him going to the draft because I too would have had him as a top 25 prospect. Um, it feels like the holes in his game uh, are somewhat addressable uh, in, a, in a, an additional college year. Like, like probably besides, you know, the size. Like he's obviously slight of, of build. You know, he, he will get bigger. He will fill out, but he's he's never going to be like a brick house type of guy, you know, just looking at his frame. But besides that, like, I do think he can become a better playmaker. I do think he can have a more he can have a more efficient shooting offensive season on, on the whole. And I do think he can kind of continue to improve as a team defender. Um, and and and, you know, he does have like some disruptive qualities defensively. Um, like I wouldn't call him like an elite ball hawk by any means, but he was, he was disruptive, like 2.4 steal rate. He's got pretty decent instincts, can get out in the, in the passing lanes a little bit. Long arms, um, long arms, too. long arms. That's a great. A great point. So, um, I think that there's certainly a path to him being a lottery pick for next season. I think he's the only one of this group we're going to talk about today that I, I would think that that's a likely outcome. Like I, I think it's, I think the odds are pretty solid that, that Turquavion Smith will be a lottery pick next season. If he develops on the current arc that he was towards the like tail end of the ACC season. Mm-hmm. Um, I like him a lot. Those are kind of the holes I see that he can improve in his sophomore year. And the way I would kick it back to you is something you already alluded to a little bit. And, and I would just kind of maybe want to dive slightly deeper before we move on on do you think do you think him having more reps on the ball this season with De'Aaron Sebron gone is going to be a positive impact on his draft stock or do you think it's possible that he is like for lack of a better word exposed without having that super talented like creator next to him I am. Um, because of the handle and because of his scoring uh, upside and his scoring just feel, I mean, he really is kind of like a nutty on ball creator. And that's something I think we want to bet on. Mm-hmm. I do feel pretty good. I do think there's some scary potential though, too, because just a lot of this, like, again, he shot 37% on threes last season with plenty of like self-created makes and attempts, but that slash and kick game. I mean, it's crazy how like I at some point in the season I was tracking the numbers, but just like how much of Sebron's assist, you know, were going out to be kick, you know, spot <laughs> up reload threes or spot up standstill threes in the corner. 
they also used Terquavion Smith a lot as like a ghost screener for Sebron. Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. so that was another way for him to sort of like slip into some good looks. Now I will say on some of those shots, he was able to show crazy range. Like he's got, yes. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, we should have mentioned that already. The it, range is insane. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah. It's completely insane. And, and that sort of like opens up, uh, you know, what, like another added dimension for, Terquavion Smith, but because that, because he was already a very high usage guy last year, it's hard to see him going too much higher in terms of usage. Like he was above 28% this past year. Maybe he flirts with 30, maybe he gets above 30. But if more of those attempts are going to be, you know, mid-range shots or off dribble three-point attempts, I in and he struggled finishing at the rim this past season again in the half court. So I do worry if like that usage, which is going to stay high and maybe jump a little bit, if it's being routed towards more difficult shots, I could see the efficiency slipping a little bit, right. especially if the free right. throw rate isn't there to sort of like bolster the efficiency. I could also, my guess would be people that are evaluating Jaquavion Smith just want to see him in those reps. So even if the totally. efficiency dripped or pardon me, dropped some percentage across the board, as long as people see him do the right things, you know what I mean? With, with some more of these primary on ball reps, I think it's going to be, I think it'll be okay. What I will say for Smith is it is a, the half court rim finishing is a concern. That's Mm -hmm. just got to get better. The strength has to improve. He's got to gain weight. There just isn't a ton of track record of guys who are 165 pounds. You know what I mean? That, He's he's gonna he can be skinny, but he's still gonna have to pack on on some weight before he gets to the next level. I think he has to become a like special special shooter, which he is already. Like he's shown that, but that has but no, to, you're, I, like that has to keep up. That has to keep up because that's the thing that's gonna offset some of the strength concerns is him just being like a nutty nuclear scorer and shooter with incredible range. It, exactly like that that's exactly what i was just saying like his physical profile it does kind of work, require that yes um yeah and and the reason why he has talked about uh with some of the lofty expectations that we both have for him is because he does possess that talent with the iso creation the the just um basically limitless range. I mean, this guy is just as comfortable from 28 feet as he is from 22 feet, you know, and that's, that's particularly valuable when you're trying to conceptualize what he will be like at the NBA level. Um, But, but you're right. Like, I I think I've seen some, some intelligent Twitter conversations around Terquavion that, that kind of are jostling with that exact, you know, balancing act of like Mm. the physical profile is what it is. He's going to have to become this. He is already kind of on his way to doing that. It's just, is he going to be able to do it at a high enough efficiency to be a valuable enough player mm-hmm. to be a rotation NBA player? That's that's really the crux of it. Yeah. And again, he's got a lot of tools, stuff that you can't teach with the basketball in terms mm-hmm. of the handle, the the wiggle, the shake, the ability to just like get to spots on the court, maybe not get quite downhill and get to the rim every time he does tend to settle for a lot of like kind of tough contested runners um but again he's got great touch on his shot he's got great range he can shoot step backs he can shoot pull-ups he can shoot it from every distance on the court and like the as far as the intangibles go like he wants it like the guy is a fearless fearless scorer he's a hooper 
He's a straight hooper. There were a lot. He is. I mean, he is like he's going to try to carry on the Jordan Poole, Jordan Clarkson, yeah. you know, mantle there. But like, he was just fearless for them. And and sometimes the season where things could have gone off the rails for State, they weren't very good this year, or some games where they were getting blown out. Um, he just kept coming. Um, the game mm-hmm. in Chapel against UNC is a good reminder of that. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Uh, we probably went too long on Turquavion Smith, so let's go ahead and keep it moving uh, to one of the other uh, best returning guard prospects in the country, albeit of a slightly different variety. We're going to move <laughs> over to the Big 12, or I guess future SEC Texas right. Longhorn, uh, Tyrese Hunter, who transferred in this offseason from Iowa State after also flirting with entering the 2022 NBA draft. Um, he also considered uh, Louisville as well as a transfer mm. destination, but six foot, 175 pounds. My overall quick thoughts on Hunter are impact guard defender, impressive flashing finishes in the paint at the rim off a live dribble, and in my opinion, one of the best pick and roll operators and passers in the country um, and did some really impressive stuff as a freshman in an offense that wasn't exactly the most efficient or the best in terms of you know being able to spread the floor and give him multiple options to play around him. Uh, it'll be fascinating to see how it works at Texas. I will say that just given um, Marcus Carr, who's back for mm-hmm. his like 18th season of college <laughs> basketball is still there. Timmy Allen is still there. There's a lot of guys that want to play with the ball. Um, so I, I'm a little curious to see like how Chris Beard navigates that. But what I do want to touch about just real quickly, my favorite part of Hunter's game. And then Lee, I'll throw it over to you is the pick yeah. and roll passing. I just think he's a top shelf pocket passer in the college ranks. Um, you know, when Iowa State would run spread pick and roll, and when they would use that little like corner pin in exit action, something the Hornets did all the time under James Borrego. We saw Lamella Ball have a lot of success as a passer in this action, but Hunter in the college ranks was wonderful at reading that back line help defender. 
And if the defense put two on the ball, the backline helper was tied up with that like that exit action in the corner. So the rollers got a got like a pretty clean lane to dive to the rim. He would just slot in these wonderful pocket passes. I'm talking about just the touch, the spin, the you know, lead putting the guy in a in a in an area to get downhill on the dive. You know, they're already open, but he's sort of throwing them towards the rim. Just really, really, I think kind of like special stuff in that regard. I think the simple reads, though, are impressive for Hunter out of the pick and roll. Like if you put two on the ball or the screen defender is up at the level, the big man rolls, weak side defender on the wing tags, weak side shooter shakes up and is open along the perimeter for a kickout three, like Hunter's just going to spam that and just hit that kickout mm-hmm. guy all day. Um, <laughs> shooters and The point I'm making is shooters and dive guys should want to play with this guy because he's just going to feed them exactly what they're looking for juicy catch and shoots and dives to the rim. Um, and then there were two games in the NCAA tournament I want to highlight specifically, which was the LSU game, him taking oh, on yeah. <laughs> LSU's switch defense, which the Tigers under Will Way this past season, one through five switch. And so that defense, that concept, that switch is, is designed to keep the ball in front, right? And to take away the normal passing reads that you would see versus drop versus versus putting some guy higher to the level versus a trap. Like it's just taking that away. And Hunter made quick decisions in this game, kickouts, um, you know, when, when he would drive and there'd be an off ball dig or a gamble from one of LSU's like, you know, help defenders and just immediately getting the ball to the shooter. Um, when LSU switched and then would like load up its help defense, you know, and that, that almost that FSU like switch plus hyper help defensive approach, um, in LSU was just loaded with with NBA talent on that yeah. roster. I mean, his ability to skip over the top, just I'm again like pretty special stuff. And then in that game too, once he gave the ball up, he stayed active off the ball and relocated into several uh, like big time deep threes in that game. And then two games later, LSU or pardon me, Iowa State versus Miami. Miami they don't switch often. Um, right, pick and roll. They trap. Um, so now you're going to be you're giving Tyrese Hunter another challenge in terms of pick and roll coverage. Miami, this aggressive defense that's trying to force steals and trap. Um, it was one of the, I think what I think in my opinion like one of the most impressive pick and roll passing displays that we had all last season in college basketball. Seven assists, looked comfortable making reads, including some pretty like daring passes, and again. Gorgeous pocket passes, even while having two guys put on him in the trap first Miami. But just the passing touch, the quick decisions, the timing, it was all there. And away from the, those pocket passes, Hunter did an, a, just a terrific job splitting several of those traps with in, in getting downhill. And he's just so quickly able to go from you know right-handed dribble, stringing things out towards crossover, boom, explode, get downhill, get into the paint either get all the way to the rim or, or, you know, kick out for a three and play slash and kick ball. So I am a big fan of Tyrese Hunter. I like his two way play and I really, really enjoy the, uh, the pick and roll passing. Yeah. So it's funny because out of my notes here, you, you've hit on a couple of them that I wanted to reiterate, like number one, just as, uh, as kind of like, uh, you know, nerd college basketball fans, like we are, and like probably a lot of our listeners are, this Texas team this year, you already mentioned a couple of them. They are just a strange hodgepodge of yeah. like 
guys that have been around forever. I mean, you mentioned Carr and Timmy Allen, Christian Bishop, Dylan DeSue, Tyrese. Like, I mean, they're talented. Like, it's it's a it's an interesting roster. It is just a uh, it's a motley crew of NCAA transfers. Hunter is is such an interesting prospect to talk about right after Terquavion Smith because they're they're almost opposites in a lot of ways. Um, aside from their, them both being like a little small for their position, that's kind of where the similarities stop. You, you mentioned Hunter as this kind of uh, cerebral like pick and roll practitioner, an explosive finisher around the rim. He's like a violent, twitchy, slashing guard that can get downhill he's a super dynamic defender 3.8 percent steal percentage which was sixth in the big 12 so just very very disruptive um on the defensive end of the court he and and just to support some of the like passing claims you were making 32 assist percentage that's like you know you're getting into like Halliburton Sharif Cooper type assist percentage numbers there like just Mm -hmm. kind of Total outlier distributor. Um, the big, I think, question mark with Tyrese Hunter is obviously the shooting. Uh, 39% from the field, 27% from the three-point line. He was not um, He was not a shy shooter. Like, he shot 135 threes on the year. And it doesn't necessarily, like, look completely broken. And he's not an unconfident player by any means. He's just obviously going to have to be a more efficient long-range shooter to kind of like completely unlock all of these other positive attributes we're, we're, you know, yeah. we're kind of like eschewing on him. I, I, another note I had is that he seemed to be pretty big in big moments. You, you talked about the LSU game at length, and you mentioned like the thing about that LSU game is like he was the best player on the floor in, in a lot of different ways, I think. That game, he made shots, and that just completely changes the the calculus on how you defend him. And and frankly, like particularly at the college level, if he's making shots like that, like he's essentially unguardable. He he was the best player on the floor in, in, on that in that game, which you mentioned had a ton of NBA prospects on it. I do think, and you you already talked about this a little bit, and 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 frankly, Iowa State's been this way for lead guards for a while now, it feels like he is going to have more effective spacing around him at Texas. He, you know, um, Iowa state's uh, best player, their shooting guard, whose name is Brockington, like a weird, like an awesome player to watch, but a strange player. Like he's, he's one of these kind of like mid range maestros that you just don't see a ton of anymore. And, uh, but, but my point is like, he was not kind of, he was not like a Terry Rozier, like re, like run off screens, relocate, yeah. spot up guy. That that like you said, that those type of guys would love playing with Tyrese Hunter. So f- for me, Brian, like I, I like him a ton. I think the shooting is is a huge question mark. I think he will be able to really showcase his abilities in an even more better environment in in at Texas. When we're talking about like. What kind of prospect is he coming into this year? I've kind of got him as this like fringe first rounder, early second. Is that kind of where you would peg him currently as it stands today? Yeah, yeah, somewhere yeah. somewhere in there. We'll see where the shot ends up, you know. I just think with guards that this size, it helps that he's I think he's 
you know, he can be pretty disruptive at the point of attack. But with yep. guards that size, it's like you've just got to be plus plus on one side of the court. You know what I mean? Yep. And so he's got to have that the the, the off dribble shot come online so that it's going to force defenses to go over the screen, right? And get him into rotation. And then all of a sudden he can turn the corner. He can throw a pocket pass. You know what I mean? So I think somewhere in that range, yeah. Yeah, that, that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at with them, and and obviously all these like projections are going to be incredibly fluid. Um, sure. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, unless you've got any kind of more burning thoughts on Hunter, let's keep it rolling. Yeah, well, just real quick, he would say shot 54 percent at the rim, which is like not amazing, but again, right. he's a little bit smaller. The volume was there, and plenty of self created attempts. Seventy uh, percent of his rim finishes came unassisted, and there was like. He's got some creativity and some, you know, contortionist style finishes yes. for size at the in the paint. Um, also, I looked this up. He was one of three freshmen since 2007, 2008 to finish a season with uh, 3.5% steal rate, 25% assist rate in 10 or more dunks that Marcus wow. Smart is one of the other three rookies to do that. And he was one of uh, 14 high major players, regardless of class. Uh, since 07, 08 to go 3.5% steal rate, 25% assist rate, and 10-plus dunks. Some of the other guys to do that, Marcus Smart, DeLon Wright, Alex Caruso, Chris Dunn, uh, Gary Payton II, Amon Shumpert, Shaq Harrison, Michael Carter-Williams, Reese Beekman, and one Tyrese Hunter. So, interesting guy. I'm curious to see how they make it work at Texas. Let's keep it rolling. Let's head to the Midwest here. Deron Holmes, uh, one of the better fives centers big men prospects for the 2023 draft i would say certainly among returning prospects you know every center in this draft is going to end up falling you know victor webanyama is the best kalel Ware yeah. probably somewhere around number two and then you're going to get into adam bona and you're going to get into Derek lively territory but but holmes i think has the chance to really be one of the better interior defensive prospects for this draft um 610 skinny but not like not like rail thin um very very long and like i would describe him as i think a smooth mover who also gets off the floor pretty quickly but not like not super duper um you know like explosive nuclear type athleticism but moves well and does get off the ground pretty quickly he actually the way he moves and the way he uses his arms and how long they are, I couldn't find a, a good read about his wingspan on the internet, but it looks mm. legit. He kind of reminds me of like a defensive-minded Marvin Bagley, just in terms of like where when Bagley was at Duke, like how he moved, what his body looked like. But but Holmes is is far more comfortable defensively at this stage of his career, mm. and uh, especially guarding uh, pick and roll, big time catch radius, good hands in traffic, good lob finisher. I really think his motor is excellent. Like he runs the floor. He will run the pipe looking for transition finishes. Um, you know, as Dayton's looking, trying to get out and run, but he'll even like outrun guys and get ahead of the pack and try to sneak in for, for dunks on the break. Um, he looks to make extra rotations on defense. Like he's a very active help defender. I really like Deron Holmes. I've watched a couple of his games recently, including one of the matchups that Dayton had with VCU this past season. And, um, he pops, in my, in my opinion, as a as like a really impressive, like a uh, true center. I guess like has that type of skill set where he's there to you know give you some versatility guarding the pick and roll and give you some rim protection. So Lee, why don't you give me some of your initial thoughts on Holmes, and then I can uh, pick it up from wherever you you leave things off. 
Yeah, this is this is definitely the guy that I am the least familiar with of this bunch. Dayton just wasn't super on my radar last season. But what's interesting, and so 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 the way I'm going to kind of frame this one is is almost uh, almost interviewing you a little bit about Holmes, so so that cool. I can yeah. learn as the audience learns. Uh, but what what is sticking out to me? Obviously, you already hit on on uh, his ability as a rim protector. You know, eight percent block rate, fourth in the A ten as a, as a true freshman. So he's just a pretty elite rim protector for such a young player. So one inch, another interesting, like Dayton could be really good next year. I they, think they're they, going to be. They're bringing back a lot of guys. Yeah, Ma- Ma- I mean, they were they were twenty four and eleven this year. They ended the season beating Davidson and Richmond late in the yeah. year and returned their top six scores. It, Holmes is going to be one of the best players in the country. Malachi Smith, who's also a rising sophomore, is like a really solid. Like you know, he's the next Jalen Crutcher at Dayton. You know, like mm-hmm. just a really mm-hmm. solid. Uh, lead guard um, who can who can shoot at some too. Kobe Elvis can really shoot and score. And if you remember from scouting Anthony Edwards before the 2020 draft, I, I know Kamara. exactly where you're going. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. And like he he's actually a really nice fit next to Holmes because he's like a you know he can shoot it a little bit, he can handle it a little bit as well. So they can really like open up you know four round one offense and Anthony Grant and Dayton. Ha, are yep. like a very creative X and O offense. And this is one of the premier continuity ball screen offenses in the country. We talked about this when we talked about Blake Wesley and Notre Dame leading into the yep. 2022 draft, but Holmes is really solid as like the handoff going directly into empty side ball screens and diving to the rim. And he can really finish and play above the rim and make tough catches in traffic. So here's some things that I would just, I'd like to I'd like to focus on his defense because that to me is really where like yeah and that was the, the big one I was going to ask you about Brian was kind of his and, and you you alluded to it as being a positive I believe like but very curious on kind of like his uh, like you said pick and roll defense and kind of switchability like what's he like as a mover yeah I like it um, so again there's versatility towards his defense and he's looked in my opinion comfortable guarding in space against different position types that includes wings and guards along the perimeter when he's forced to cross match or to switch out. And again, that's where his like smooth movement and his length really come in to help him too. But also he tries hard defensively too, which is like a, which is like, I don't know what percentage of the battle, but it's an important piece. And so if you put that size with that lateral smoothness at that, uh, uh, with the wingspan and just the effort, then it's, it's, it's a pretty compelling uh, package. Look, he was a big, recruit for Dayton. This is a top 40, right. top 50 prospect that that picked playing for Anthony Grant and the Flyers, which is pretty awesome, honestly, but can give you a couple different coverages against pick and roll. I talked about the switch, but this is someone that can play drop. You know, I don't think he would... Excuse me, I'm not sure he'd be a guy that would play exclusively play drop at the next level or, you know, the NBA, just because... He's big, but you've got to be, you know, huge to just to be like a right. consistent drop. You know, you got to be Mark Williams or whatever. But he can can play to the level, can move his feet. You know, does a nice job keeping ball handlers in front, allowing his guard to the point of attack to to fight over and get back. I, I like him there. And again, his length allows him to kind of be in two places at one time to monitor the ball handler and to sort of like be present for to deny passes to make passes difficult to the roll guy. I think his processing is pretty good takes good initial position, doesn't get lost once the action starts like a lot of other sort of like young centers will do, hits his spots, 
keeps the ball in front, closes off the rim. There are still breakdowns. Like by no means is he like technically perfect or always in the right place or whatever. But for the most part, I, I think he's showing up in his the location just where he needs to be, and he's there with some with some punch because again he's got the length and like kind of the willingness to to block shots. Um, I mentioned the aggressive help defense will look to chip in as a turn at the rim, sliding over in the paint to, to cut off drives. You know, Dayton will use him as the second man in a design double team. So like aggressively trap, then scramble out and pick up whomever the open guy is. And again, this sort of gets back to some of his comfort guarding on the perimeter because he can just pick up whomever, whomever's open, whatever the closest guy is, but really engaged in the back line of the defense, nearly 9% block rate this season, three blocks per 40 minutes, that stuff doesn't happen by accident. Like he puts himself right. in good places and he has a nice job contesting shots without getting out of control. Like I didn't, I haven't looked this up, but I'm guessing there aren't too many guys with a block rate above 8% that also average only 2.1 fouls per 40 minutes. Like he does a nice job contesting a lot of shots without picking up senseless fouls and putting guys on the line and conversely, body control conversely for a guy who on the other side of the court drew 4.3 pal- fouls per 40 minutes you know more than double the amount that he committed per 40 minutes is, is pretty impressive and i just want to highlight like one possession from the vcu game it's the first possession of the game ball screen for vcu they have the ball holmes drops uh hassan ward the vcu center tries to post up holmes pushes ward off the block thus sort of like taking away the, the deep mm-hmm. post touch ward after the catch he looks to drive baseline, holds slides to his left, and takes that away. So Ward, as he's fading out of bounds, throws the ball to the opposite corner. During this process, this also takes Holmes out of bounds. But as Jaden Nunn, who catches the ball in the corner, starts to drive, and he drives by the closeout, Holmes is able to get back inbounds. He doesn't. He gets back on the floor, two feet in the paint, and he denies a layup for Nunn, who ends up being forced to pass out. By this point... There's like, you know, five, six seconds left on the shot clock. <laughs> After the pass, Holmes makes another rotation and gets a box out. Um, and one of his teammates gets a rebound from like the miss contested long two with, you know, one second left on the shot clock. So he doesn't record a block on this possession, a defensive right. rebound, a steal, but he totally dominates it. He does like five or six useful things well in the span of like 18 seconds and just takes away multiple good looks at the rim. It was really impressive. Um, a productive and, and, possession. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm really, I'm in on Holmes. Um, I, I think also in this VCU game, he showed a little something as a short roll passer. Like the more mm-hmm. I see him, the more I sort of feel better about that. The first game I watched him, I was, I sort of thought like, you know, I, a, I didn't like his work as like a high roll, as like a high post passer. I thought he threw a lot of bad looks in that. In the there was a game against LaSalle where he threw multiple high low lobs that were way off. But um, in some of the subsequent games that I've watched, the short roll passing has looked good. Like him catching in space, making another dribble, forcing one of the backline, you know, four on three defenders to move, and then him hitting the open guy. So he's not like splitting the atom. This isn't Jokic, but like he's just right. keeping the advantage going in a way that I think is pretty impressive. And then there was another moment in the VCU game that I watched where he caught in space. None of the help rotated. So he just drove in and got fouled. Like, and I just, again, you can see the gears turning. Like the process is maybe not super duper smooth yet, but it's there. Like he's shown some very real flashes in terms of that, which 
if we're trying to project out to Holmes on the next level, just like trying to find ways for him to stay on the court is big. He doesn't yep. shoot, but he gives you that those that those discrete set of center skills. And if he can give you a little bit of short roll passing, then um then it then the, yeah, you've really got something. So I'm impressed with his work in the pick and roll. I think he does a nice job angling screens, playing above the rim, and giving you a little bit of short roll passing. Lee, anything else you'd like to add on Holmes, or why don't we move on to the next guy? And in fact, if yeah, no, that, that was. Uh... Yeah, that was that was very educational. Let's keep it rolling. Then, yeah, and since I I introduced the first three, do you mind go ahead and, and why don't why don't you go ahead and get get us started on the the next three guys here? Let's uh yeah. So Julian Strother, um, every, every any college basketball fan should be fairly familiar with him. Played on the loaded Gonzaga team from last season. He's a rising junior, six six wing, just a productive player. I mean, honestly. It's so easy to get lost in the mix in that Gonzaga roster. And then you go back and you kind of uh, reflect on their statistics. And he really was one of the most productive players on this roster. 11 points per game, five rebounds and assists, 50% from the floor, 70% from the free throw line, 36% from three. Strother, who is is a really nice-sized two-way wing for Gonzaga, like very much has the physical profile of an NBA wing. One thing that surprised me when going back through and digging through some of his statistics um, after watching him a bunch this year was the fact that was his three point volume. I mean, this guy shot 148 threes on the year, made 54, so just you know 36, 37 percent. What was really surprising to me, Strother took more threes on the year than Rasir Bolton did, um, yeah. who is who is you know pegged as one of the best like catch and shoot perimeter players in the country, rightfully so. But you just, I, at least for me, I wouldn't have expected that, and 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 that that three point volume at a successful rate gives me a lot of optimism about Strother as an NBA prospect. Sixty one percent true shooting. Not a huge stocks guy. Like you might think he would be a more kind of like productive, uh, you know, disruptive steal rate, block rate guy. He's really not. But from what I've observed with him during the Gonzaga uh, kind of run this year was he is a really cerebral kind of team defender. And he is just like an intelligent, he is an intelligent player on both ends as a team defender and also kind of as like a cutter a relocator moving into space completely and utterly understanding like what his role was for Gonzaga to be effective. And Gonzaga is reloading again and, and had two guards um, in Hickman and Salas that were probably under featured than they would be on most other teams in the country because Gonzaga was so loaded, but with Nimhard gone, I, I think obviously you'll see both of those guys featured a whole lot more. And I think Strother, he will be in a very similar role, I think, but probably will have a chance to show a little bit more, maybe as a creator, as a connector, and of course, like as a shooter and a solid, solid wing defender. I think he comes into the season certainly as a uh, certainly as a top sixty prospect. I would imagine he would be on most boards, and and maybe would have even gotten drafted if he came out. Uh, agreed. Yeah, I mean, I think he's one of the best returning prospects in the country. He's one of the best returning shooters in the country, especially when you uh-huh. factor in his size, um, six 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 seven on the wing, above two hundred pounds. Look, he plays in in kind of like the ideal offense, right? You know, I mean, getting to play next to Andrew Nemhard and um. 
Chet Holmgren and, and Timmy yeah, Timmy. In the middle. <laughs> I mean, like in in, Str- in Bolton spacing on the opposite side, but like this, he look the scenario is set up for him to play well, and he played great basketball. Totally, sixty uh, percent effective shooting, sixty five percent shooting on twos, thirty seven percent shooting from threes with good volume. You know, doesn't get to the line a lot. Twenty eight percent free throw attempt rate. So. Look, you brought up the shot creation aspect of of Strother. Like, I think that's something to watch this year. It is. He's a big time movement shooter in terms of relocations, coming off down screens. You know, you doing some of those patterns in Gonzaga's offense that you saw Corey Kispert do in years yep. prior. But can he? You know, and look on the next level. Like, I don't think he's going to be a guy that's going to be asked to like get his shot. But I will be curious to see now that he's back for a third year in Spokane. Like, is that something he can do? Um, does he have an added dimension to his game or really is he just like a pure movement spot up catch and shoot guy that is, you know, like a system team defender on the opposite side of the court, which is like a perfectly good prospect to be clear. It's just, he, he really excelled in that role. And I'd be curious to know, like if you would, you know, what does he look like if he's given the Dirk Wavion Smith role at NC state this past season? You know what I mean? Like it's just a, it's kind of a, it's just being, Big time shooters being asked to do different things. And obviously, Terquavion can do so much more with the basketball. Uh, Strother, 63 three pointers in two seasons with Gonzaga. Every single one of those threes was assisted on. Wow. <laughs> he shot 67% at the rim this season. 58% of those looks were assisted on, which is like not, you know, it's like not really where you want like that, the ratio to be for, for right. like wing and guard prospects. But again, that's like just part of. The system at Gonzaga, and he still yeah. I mean, he he was too. just he was such a receiver. You know what I mean? Yes. Like he was such a complimentary receiver piece. But you see the physical profile, you see the shooting, yeah. and you see kind of the two way wing ability, and you just can't help but project this guy at the NBA level. And you're right, Brian. Like with this new roster makeup, obviously Timmy's back, Bolton's back, and they have like a slew of transfers as well, but. I do think he, and it, it reminds, like, they're very different players, but it does remind me a little bit of Kispert coming back when mm-hmm. he had a chance to go as, like, yeah. a top 30-ish, 35-ish prospect. He came back to school. I do think, obviously, Kispert's, like, a better pure shooting prospect, the, although Strother's a very good shooter in his own right. And one thing I would like to see from him this year is, like, Kispert really developed an ability to be an awesome kind of, like, connector in the half court as a passer. And I wonder if we'll see a little bit more, not only like dribble creation, but just more involvement as a connector and a little bit more of like a little bit more giving than just receiving from Strother this year. That's that's the thing to watch. Yeah, it's like when you when you curl off the down screen, you know, and the defense reacts, they send extra help at your your way Um, instead of maybe just like passing it back out to the point guard like. Can you find the next guy? Can you get it the ball to the second side of the court? Can you find a cutter? He moves really well without the basketball, not just coming yeah. off screens. I, I think he's a nice relocation uh, shooter, and I, I think his like interior cut finishing is impressive, and that speaks to, I think, the high two-point percentage and the high mm-hmm. rim percentage. He's a nice finisher in transition. Another sneaky part of his game, this is the last thing I want to say about Straw there, but with yep. that size, I think he's a pretty solid wing rebounder too. It shows up in the percentages on the defensive side of the court. He was around, what, like 14% this past year. And like if you watch the film, I mean, he's boxing out. He's getting to boards outside of his area. Like the film sort of suge- like backs up the numbers a little bit. Yeah. Um, this guy is playing a role. 
solid, you know, solid defense, rebound, and hit shots. So um, I really like Strother a lot as a prospect, even if there is a maybe a little bit of a ceiling on his on his um, development arc because we just don't know what he can do as a playmaker or with the ball in his hands and a ball screen or anything like that. Exactly. Yeah, it'll it'll be super interesting to see him in slightly of a different context this year, and and just like his personal development as a prospect too. Um, so yeah, Strother, two way wing from Gonzaga, big 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 prospect to watch this year. All right, let's move on to our last two guys quickly here. Here's a player that uh, most everyone in the country will be intimately familiar with after North Carolina's uh, run to the national championship game this season. Uh, and that's R.J. Davis, junior, rising junior guard for UNC, right around six foot, 13 points per game, four rebounds per game, three assists per game. So really was like quite quite a stat stuffer um, for UNC across the board this season. 42% from the field, 83% at the free throw line, 36% from three on pretty, pretty awesome volume, 183s on the season. A fine distributor. Like I think the the interesting thing about R.J. Davis is, you know, obviously besides his size, like he's six foot tall and he can't do anything about that. But he doesn't have a massive weakness. You know, I'm sure he can out. He can certainly get better. He can continue to get better as a distributor. He can continue to get better as a as a as a guard defender. He he obviously has some some limitations as a defender just because of his size. But I just want to walk you through, Brian, before before I – because this is a guy you're very, very familiar with too. But, like, my flow chart of opinions on R.J. Davis I think has been really interesting through his career. Like, as a freshman, after his freshman season, my takeaway on R.J. Davis was maybe not everyone sees it yet, but this is a incredible four-year college guard who is going to take the very familiar path of former, uh, who are now legendary point guards for for UNC, Joel Berry, Marcus Page. Like awesome shooters, a little undersized, get better every single year, all American by their, by their senior year, like competing for maybe ACC player of the year type stuff, but, but maybe not ever much of an NBA projection. Like that was my opinion of RJ Davis after his, freshman season and I thought that meant I was a little higher on him than most because I was seeing that like three year out projection of him being like an incredible college guard after his sophomore season I am starting to take him much more seriously as an actual NBA prospect and and there's a couple reasons why that I'd love for you to kind of expand on number one is just an incredible shot maker he was incredible in massive moments for UNC, not only during the NCAA tournament run, which was which which was obvious, particularly the Baylor game, which I'm sure we'll hit on a little bit, but at the Duke game uh, in Cameron, and the other quality besides the like difficult shot making, it kind of felt like there were times that the, particularly towards the tail end of UNC season where he was just. Like, I have to get buckets, and I'm going to do it with impressive, like, dribble combination moves to free myself up and just bang in a jumper. And then the last thing I'll say, he started to develop an uh, an ability to beat mismatches, to beat switches. And I didn't see that from him until, I think, mid to tail end of this year, particularly, again, to, like, 
for an example, at the Duke game in Cameron, Coach K's last game where UNC obviously, of course, went into Cameron and spoiled the party, there were multiple, multiple situations in that game where he got switched out onto a bigger player and he just absolutely abused them for buckets. And that, because of the shot making and because of his kind of like developed ability to, to, to wiggle and get by bigger players and abuse Mitch matches, I'm all of a sudden starting to envision him as like an off guard bench NBA role and think that that might be realistic. Yeah. Uh, so here's what I'll say about RJ. I do think he's more of like a 2024 prospect, but sure. I think he's worth discussing because he had a great sophomore year and he's poised for a monster junior season too. You mentioned the game in Cameron against Duke. Look, UNC, they they came back in that game for a bunch of different reasons, but in part because that little like stack Spain pick and roll action mm-hmm. with RJ ball handling, Brady Manick setting the back, you know, setting the back screen, Baycott rolling, and then Manick popping out. They torched that coverage. <laughs> they torched Duke. Everything Duke threw at them. Uh, Duke like was getting stuck in between rotations. They tried to switch, and that was when Davis started beating. Mark Williams on a switch, beating Paolo Bencaro on a switch. They basically played Mark Williams off the court uh, in that game, um, which was not the first time that happened to Duke uh, this season. Look, UNC's year, I think it popped the way it did because they went all in on the double point guard lineup with Davis and Caleb Love, but it became pretty clear like within that division of labor, who's going to be the primary guy? And that became R.J. Davis, who took an ownership yeah. stake as being the primary caretaker of the secondary break in UNC's half-court offense. The Manic and Baycott high-low, inside-out combination, that was the backbone of the offense. But Davis was like the connective tissue between that, his own offense, and Caleb Love. Not like totally. an, not an overwhelming downhill driver of the basketball. Due to his size, he's probably never going to be a great finisher at the rim, 51% at the rim this season. However, he shoots it well from every other spot on the court. He's quick with the basketball, and his decision-making, to your point, Lee, is really, really good. And so he'll just use his his zip to knife around ball screens, yeah. split screens, get into the paint, put the defense in rotation, and from there just make good decision after good decision after good decision. And when you take him off the basketball, he's a lethal spot-up shooter. Right, so when they right. would switch and you know run Caleb Love off some Chicago action, then all of a sudden R.J. Davis can spot up and be one of the best spot-up shooters in the ACC, if not the entire country. I think the next big step for Davis is going to be, can he, re- can he add a reliable off-the-dribble three that lands in the high 30s? He's shown flashes. He's not a bad pull-up or step-back shooter. In fact, he has lovely touch on like a mid-range pull-up to versus drop coverage. However, he's that three-point percentage comes largely because he's much better shooting off the catch and on spot-ups. Spot-up efficiency this season, 1.3 points per possession, uh, 68% effective shooting, 44% effective shooting off the dribble. So you can see a bit of a split there. But because he's like an okay, not great small guard defender. Like he's not Trey Jones, right? Nor does he have elite athleticism. Nor does he have like kind of like the quick twitch of someone like Marcus Sasser at Houston. He's going to need to be a plus-plus offensive player to hang in the NBA. We know he makes good decisions with the ball. We know he can shoot off the catch. But can he force defenses to consistently fight over the top of the ball screen, which puts them in the rotation and allows Davis to go to work with his ball handling? We talked about this with Tyrese Hunter. And, yep. and Davis, look, Davis is a is a much better at this point three-point shooter than Tyrese Hunter. And again, he's not like 
a complete negative in terms of shooting off the dribble. In fact, he's pretty good, especially in late clock situations. But I think like that's the next big obvious step for him is going to be, can he become a guy that can shoot with volume like 37% in pull-up threes? I think that I think that jump to go from like low 30s to mid to high 30s is going to be a big deal uh, this season for R.J. Davis. No, that's, that's exactly right. I, I think for those reasons that I said earlier, plus the reason you just hit on, the fact that he did kind of become this, pro- evolved into this primary caretaker is why I went from, viewing him as nothing but an awesome college guard to a potential NBA guard. And the reasons you laid out for his deficiencies are why I always viewed him originally as that. So yep, that's yep, the yep. conversation. And that's why it's going to be cool to see him this year. All right. You good to move on to our last yeah, guy? Let's, 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 let's run through the last guy here. All right. Let's, let's do our last guy here. So, all right. Brandon Murray, Brandon Murray was a freshman at LSU this season. We, uh, we touched on how talented of a roster LSU had this past season when talking about Tyrese Hunter. Crazy. And crazy, crazy how much talent. It was, it was insane. I mean, they have three guys who've transferred to other high major programs and Brandon Murray, Alex Fudge, and Efton Reed that all like conceivably could potentially maybe pl- be, you know, be pros. And Eric Gaines, too, at and, UAB. And, like the, oh, all those right. guys yeah. left. It's nuts. It's absolutely crazy. <laughs> Not to mention Tari's and blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. they were just loaded. They were loaded. So yeah. I, I think Brandon Murray is probably the least known prospect that we're going to talk about today. And, and we can probably talk about him quicker than the others, too. He is going from LSU to Georgetown. He'll be a, he'll be a sophomore. He is certainly a fringe draft. He's certainly kind of a fringy draft prospect at this time. The reason I wanted to hit on him is because, as you know, BG, like as much college basketball as we watch – Sometimes guys just hit your eyes a certain way and and you just think that there's something there. And for whatever reason, I think there's something there with Brandon Murray. And we'll see if it ever materializes. I mean, he was a very productive player this season on a good LSU team. 11 points per game, three rebounds per game, two assists per game, 6'5", two-way wing, always took the challenge of guarding the other team's uh, kind of most effective Effective guard scorer, I would say. Obviously, Tari Eason guarded a lot of more like front court stars. 42% from the field, 67% from the free throw line, 33% from three. So he's not going to blow you away with efficiency. He did take 119 threes. So like he's not a bad shooter. He did seem to um he did seem to make timely shots. He was a low usage guy at LSU with all those, you know, playmakers they had. Xavier Pinson. Uh, Eric Gaines specifically on the ball. Those guys were carrying all the playmaking load. Brandon Murray was, you know, he was getting his little pin downs. He was getting yeah. his open <laughs> kickouts. He was, he was a, you know, he could be electric in transition. He would crash the offensive boards. What'll be really interesting at Georgetown is I think he'll have a chance to play with the ball in his hands a ton more. And man, I just as much as I was watching all these LSU prospects, every single time I would watch them for Tarisen. Um, I would find myself saying, who the heck is this kid? He's a true freshman from Baltimore, just out there making plays. He's a highly active, cerebral, instinctual cutter and defender. The shot can and should improve uh, from a mechanic standpoint. Good athlete, strong as hell. And and I just, I just kind of want to put him out there in the ethos. I just want to get my name attached to Brandon Murray in case he makes this unexpected jump in a bigger role 
uh, with the other qualities he has. So like that, that's, that's where I'm at with Brandon Murray. And I, I just, I wanted to just touch on him today. Yeah. He popped the first time I watched LSU last season, I think was the wake forest game. And he wasn't like great in that game, but he had a couple of nice shots and just, he is sort of like basketball prospect, proto, <laughs> proto wing, right? Six, five, two, 10, six, five, two, 15 that can shoot, you know? Um, and you mentioned the guy that else you could put him in motion, you know, bring him off floppy action, bring him off pin downs, has the relocation skills at the end of all of that stuff. I would say a quick release. I don't think yeah. it is as seamless or as lightning quick as say someone like Hunter Couture at Virginia Tech, who that dude does like the Clay Thompson, like catch it in yep. the shooter's pocket, don't load, just get it up. Murray doesn't do that, but there's just no wasted time. Quick catch, immediately get the feet locked, set those feet, square it to the rim, high release point, and get that sucker in the air. Like it I I do think his like his his gather process from catch to the ball coming out of a high release from 20, whatever feet away, I think it's pretty impressive. and something that sort of like pops with him a little bit. I prefer his off ball scoring package, but I do like some of the stuff he does one-on-one with the basketball. And I'm fascinated to see more of that this season um, at Georgetown. Like he can get to his own jump shot off a ball screen. LSU would run some sort of like chin pick and roll for him occasionally. And I think when he's in the paint, he does a nice job using his size. Again, he's got that six, four, six, five, two ten frame. Um, the strength, I think, in my opinion, really like adds to his appeal as a guard prospect with shooting upside. Not that explosive, but when he gets the right matchup, can definitely turn the corner. You know, if he gets a, a slower footed guy, like he can beat those dudes off the bounce. I watched the Texas A&M game from Baton Rouge the, the, earlier this week, and he blew right by Henry Coleman on a switch. Mm. Henry Coleman is a damn good defender. He's a, you know, he's like a four or five, but he's undersized and he can move laterally like very good defensive player that Murray just raced right by for a layup at the rim that made me say, whoa, as I was watching. Um, <laughs> plays with his heads up on drives. Against smaller, quicker guys, I think with his, um, you know, he, he'll, he needs to lean a little bit more on his handle and his size, and he can play off his pull-up shot and try to get downhill some as well. I do think he has the tendency to, and maybe this was because like the offense at LSU wasn't the most organized, but I think he had a tendency when he did get the ball to maybe get a little sticky with it at times, despite mm-hmm. the fact that I think he's a pretty good like extra pass guy along the perimeter. The guy that you can just like plug and play because he can shoot and he moves the ball. But there are moments where it would just things would come to a screeching halt. Um, because Murray was going to try to try to get his own shot. And, you know, ultimately a lot of that stuff led to, I think just kind of like tough contested, you know, pull up twos or mid rangers or whatever, but I like him. He works hard on the defensive glass. Um, you know, I think he helps like a team rebounding approach because he boxes out, he'll box out bigger guys, he'll box out guards like Tyrese Radford from Texas A&M that want to get on the, get on the offensive glass. And I think he's pretty frisky at the point of attack. When you ask him to do that, he can switch guards, different positions. So I think there's an interesting two way player in here because of the defensive versatility, the rebounding, the size and the shooting upside. Yeah. And, and he frankly may be another one that, that you can kind of sort of sit in that 2024 box to, to watch for later, but, but we'll see if he pops this year. But yeah, so so those are our six returning NCAA prospects that we're going to look at. So Brian, you want to take us out of here? Yeah, uh, thanks again for for listening in to this episode. Uh, again, there's going to be a lot more draft content 
coming down the way. Um, I know it's just the preseason right now, but there's a lot of stuff to get to. and We're looking forward to covering more and more of these 2023 uh, draft prospects. So thank you for listening in. And again, uh, please make sure to rate and review on any podcast app that you listen to this from. And if you have any prospects or things you'd like to see covered in this draft, whether it be player types or archetypes or any of that sort of stuff, please let us know. And, and again, hopefully you guys do enjoy some of this because we had, I had a lot of fun recording it today. So Lee, thanks for taking some time and looking forward to doing more of these uh, the next few weeks and months. And with that, we are out. Go Hornets. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com